Welcome to Running the Bases podcast. My name is Tucker Wells. Coach is off today. I am privileged and honored to be at the Hudson Grill in Brookhaven talking to John King. John, how are you? Good, sir. Doing fine, thank you. All right. Well, um, why don't you just uh, tell us about yourself? Tell us who you are and talk about baseball. Well, I'm from Rome originally. I played minor league ball for four years in the old Washington Senators organization. Then I had to quit because of bursitis, but I followed baseball all my life. Stan Musial was my hero. I thought the world of him and still do. And I've heard a lot of stories about baseball and have been able to remember some of them. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, so you are a baseball man, and how long was your career in the minors? Four years. Four years. And uh, pitcher, starting pitcher. Right, right-handed pitcher. Okay. Well, let's start with you, and then you can tell us some stories about your favorite players. Uh, how did you get into baseball? Like, who showed you the game when you, were, when you were a young boy? My dad, he had played a little Class D ball and played cotton mill ball up in Rome. So he kind of broke me in and broke me in right. There you go. Did he teach you um, what type of what type of pitches did he teach you early on? The first thing he always said was get the ball over the plate, <laughs> and the next thing he said was hitting is nothing but timing, and all pitchers do is upset that timing, and if you can do that, you can get them out. There you go. Um, at what point in your life did you realize that the being a starting pitcher was your favorite position or your chosen position? When I signed with Washington, they tried me out in the bullpen and then they let me start and they decided I'd be a starting pitcher. Okay. Now, at what time, what time period is it that you're pitching for Washington, the organization, the Washington Senators? I played for the Orlando team in the Florida State League. That was their class D ball club. And I played for them starting out. Okay. Um, and then, uh, so what What city did you play ball in the most? Because I know you went to... I played a year in Orlando and a year in Tifton, Georgia. And I played a year up at Asheville, North Carolina. And I played a year at Charlotte. And was this your full-time, uh, you just played ball, or did you have jobs in the No, office? I worked in the winter. You didn't make enough money playing baseball not to work. You had to work when you weren't playing ball. Yeah. And that applied to the big leaguers. Right. I remember a man that pitched for Washington for 15 years. His name was Sid Hudson. And somebody saw him on the street one day and said, Sid, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing all right. I'm going to work. I said, well, where do you work? He said, I work over here at the Peerless Cotton Mill. And they said, well, you're a big league ball player. You shouldn't have to work. He said, I got three little children. They like to eat. That's why I'm working. <laughs> there you go. That makes perfect sense. Um, so what do you remember the most about your playing days in the minors? And then what was your favorite part of being a ball player on a professional club? The favorite ballpark? Uh, favorite ballpark, favorite memory. And then what was your favorite part just – in general, of being a ball player? I like the Charlotte ballpark. They called it the same name as the Washington Park, Griffith Stadium. And it was out on Magnolia Avenue. It's a very nice ballpark. We enjoyed playing there. And I enjoyed pitching for Charlotte. 
Harmon Killebrew came through. He had signed a bonus contract with Washington, and he came through. Washington, what they would do, they had to keep him for two years if he got over $4,000. And he got 10000 a year for three years, so they had to pull him up. But what they would do is send him all around the farm system to work out before they brought him up so he would have some time in. But he's a very nice fellow. In fact, a Hall of Famer recommended him to Washington. Walter Johnson, the great pitcher, recommended Killebrew. And he was as country as could be. He told us, says, you know, they put in the paper that I got $30,000. And I didn't get but 10000 a year for three years. So now, to my way of thinking, that ain't $30,000. I said, no, it's 10000 a year for three years. He said, what did they put it in the paper like that for? I said, to sell newspapers. <laughs> nice. But, uh, he could, but he could flat hit. Yeah. I've told you about the longest ball I think I ever saw anybody hit. It's the one he hit in Charlotte off yeah. an old boy from Rome that was up there with me named Al Brown. Brown had a big league curveball, truly. A big, if he'd had any brains, he'd have went up there. <laughs> and he told us, says, I'll throw the killer my old good old number two, and we'll see what he can do with it. So he flipped him one, and when it went over the scoreboard, it was still going up. <laughs> and when Brown got back to the bench, I said, throw him a nothing, Brown. I ain't never seen nobody throw a curveball that far. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um so your favorite player, Stan Musial. Stan Musial, the absolutely. Tell us about him. All right, I'll tell you how he got the name of the man. <clears throat> he and Shane Neitz got out of a taxi to go in Ebbets Field, and all the autograph hunters were standing out there to get a card, and Red Barber happened to be out there, the Dodgers announcer. And he heard the fans all say, here comes the man. And he says, you mean that man, don't you? And they said, no, we mean the man. That's Musial. And Red said, Stan the man. Said, that sounds pretty good. I think I'll use it. He gave him his nickname. He, uh, did you ever um, play alongside him? or I pitched to him once in a practice game. Wow. Tell us in about Florida. that. He hit a shot against the right field fence like a rocket, and I walked him. And the strange thing about him, I met him sometime after that at his restaurant in St. Louis, and he said that he remembered me. And I said, I can't believe you could remember me. He said, I can remember everybody that ever pitched to me. Wow. And sometimes what they threw me. He said, you tried to sink the ball. I said, that's right. Wow. He said, I remember. Wow. You Every know, time you saw him, he'd say, what do you say? What do you say? And he'd pull out his harmonica and say, I know three songs. Take me out to the ball game, happy birthday to you, and the Wabash Cannonball. So now that's all I know on the harmonica. <laughs> but yeah. I'll tell you about his first day in the majors. The Cardinals had a fine center fielder named Terry Moore. He was in the clubhouse putting on his uniform, and he saw this guy over in the corner changing clothes. He said, don't I know you? And Musial said, yeah, you know me. Y'all got five runs off me this spring down in Columbus, Georgia. And Moore said, your name's Musial. He said, no, it's Musial. He said, well, what are you doing up here? He said, I'm going to play left field today. 
said, Columbus sent me to Springfield, and I hit there. Springfield sent me to Rochester, and I hit there. And Rochester said, we're going to send you to St. Louis and see if you can hit up there. So he said, here I am, going to play left field. So he got a single and double that day, and Moore told him, said, don't worry, kid, you're going to be around a while. Yep. He most certainly was. He was around 23 years. One of the best. One of the best. Number six. Um, I'm going to tell you about his last day in the big leagues. Okay. He walked out, and this sports writer says, Stosh, he called him his Polish name, said, you need two hits to have as many at home as you have on the road. You got 18-15 on the road and 18-13 at home. And Musial said, I better go two for four. And that's what he did. So he wound up with the same number at home that he had on the road, 1,815 hits. So after the game, he said, well, at least I went out like I come in, two for four. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But uh, the story I like best about Musial is when he passed away, he was 93. His wife had died before, the year before, and she was 92. They'd been married 72 years when she passed away. Their son was, he had one son, and he was 71 years old. <laughs> so when Musial passed away, the funeral procession left the church, went to Bush Stadium, and Musial's daughter got out to put a wreath on Musial's statue at the ballpark. She put the, sta the wreath on the statue, went back to the car, the gate opened, and here came this man leading one of the big Clydesdale horses that pulled a Budweiser wagon. Musial loved those horses and begged Mr. Bush to let him drive the wagon, and he would drive it around the ballpark, Musial would. So the man and the horse followed the procession down the street a short distance and then turned back to go in the stadium. Wow. That's one of my favorite stories about music. Yeah, I, I had the privilege of living in St. Louis for about five years when I was in college, and I got to an opening day for the Cardinals. This was, was he a, playing then? Oh, no, this is well past his playing days, but he was there at opening day. He was there for every single opening day. He was Didn't there matter. with his red coat on. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's what yeah, I, I was I was there soon after Jack Buck had passed away. So it was a it was a such a what a baseball town. Did you ever get up to St. Louis to see him in Old Sportsman yeah, Park? Yeah, I saw him playing '62 up there. Yeah, how what was it like being in Sportsman Park at that time of year or that? I always time sat out in the left field bleachers. It didn't cost much to get out there, and he played left field. And when he came out to start the game. Everybody in the bleachers start hollering, stand, stand. And he'd tip his cap and wave to the bleachers. He is the man. He um, was the man. Yeah, for a team with such a rich franchise, uh, a franchise with such a rich history of players. Oh, it's the best, the best. history. Yeah, absolutely. The Cardinals. Oh, yeah, the most genuine. They invented the farm system. So, um, so uh, I know a lot of people have a lot of stories about Mr. Casey Stengel, but I know you have a few personal ones. Why don't you tell us about him? I'll tell the one I often tell that is my favorite. Stengel walked very slowly when he left the dugout to come up to home plate. So one day he came ambling out, and the umpire was named Bill McKinley. He was an American League umpire and a good one. So he said, come on, Case, it's hot out here. 
And Stingle finally got up to home plate and said loudly enough for the other team's infielders to hear him, Bill, I just wanted to tell you they shot the wrong McKinley. <laughs> that broke everybody up, including McKinley, and he didn't even throw him out. <laughs> and once Stingle went up to home plate and appeared to be so surprised at a call the umpire made that he fell over in a dead faint. And the umpire walked over and looked at him, and Stingle opened one eye, and the umpire said, when you open the other eye, case you're gone. <laughs> what else? One day, this outfielder for the Yankees who played for the University of Nebraska football team, Bob Serb, he was a fair hitter, hit a long ball. He was sitting in the dugout, and Stingle walked in and sat next to him. Said, serve, I have news. And everybody on the Yankees called him Case. He said, what is it, Case? He said, one of us just got traded to Kansas City. <laughs> um, Stingle, and you're more than welcome at any point to go back and talk more about these players. But, you know, Stingle, when asked about what his secret to success was, he said, I never go into a game without my man. And that man was Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra. Yep. Tell us about Yogi. Another one with stories surrounding him. But let's Yogi hear would, Stingle would put Yogi in left field in the fall or late in the season when the sun made left field full of shadows because Yogi could play the shadows. And Stingle would put him out there and somebody asked Yogi, said, Yogi, what about left field? He said, it gets laid early out there. <laughs> Well, that sounds funny, but when you think about it, it makes sense. The shadows made it get late. But Kay, uh, Yogi said, the reason I can play left field, I play the ball off to the side. I never look at it directly. I play it off to the side. And that's how I can catch it. Wow. Did you, um, did you ever play on the same, like, as you were playing in Charlotte and in Orlando, um, what were some of the future major leaguers that you played with? Was Yogi one of them? I can't no, remember. Yogi was already up there when I started playing. Yogi started playing when he was about 20 with the Yankees. In fact, he got 10 World Championship rings. Yogi did. And he had given one to his brother, who was the head waiter at San Musial's restaurant, Johnny. He had given him one given his children one and his wife and he got them all back and put them on his fingers all four fingers and the thumb on each hand right he was coaching for houston he put his arms under under his uniform and walked to the clubhouse and somebody said how's it going yo he said how you like that boys and showed them those ten rings <laughs> now almost fell over <laughs> That's a lot of world championship rings right there. Ten up. Yep. You, you got to go to the toes after that for 11 right. and on up. I told these fellas the other day this one. But it's worth repeating about Yogi. He came in one day and his wife said, how you doing? You, he said, did you have a good day, honey? She said, I sure did. I took Dale to see Dr. Shivago. He said, well, what in the hell's the matter with him now? <laughs> Um, you, you played in the Washington organization, which um, Ted Williams was a part of. 
um, later in his career. Did you? Well, ever... he wasn't in the organization when I was there. Right. Did you ever cross paths with the Splendid Splinter at any point in your lifetime? I knew a man from Rome that pitched from the Red Sox for nine years. His name was Willard Nixon. And he said that when Williams came back from Korea, he walked in the clubhouse with his Marine uniform on, took off his shirt and hat, put on a baseball cap and a sweatshirt, and went out and started hitting line drives. And he said one of the Red Sox said, look at him. He could fall out of bed on Christmas Day with snow on the ground and start hitting line drive. Yep. So you live in Atlanta. Um, this is a UGA booster group that we're here today. Um, you went to UGA? To yeah, University I went of in the off-season. In the off-season? Yeah. Um, are you, uh, do you follow the Braves then? Are you an Atlanta Braves fan? I was always a Cardinals fan, but right. I have nothing against the Braves. They had some great ball players. Aaron uh, and Matthews and some of those guys, they are Hall of Famers. What uh, what ball player today um, uh, currently playing reminds you the most of, say, a Stan Usual or Yogi Berra? Well, I'm trying to think of one. It's kind of hard to do. Do you have a, a player in this day and age that you think is just a, a an all-around class ball player that would translate to any era? You know, the great debate about baseball. Is I'm always... sure there are players today that would that could play back then. I don't call them any to mind, but I'm sure they were. Okay. The Braves don't have any, that's for sure. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, in your lifetime, who was the hardest hitter to get out for you? For me? That you faced. I, when I was playing in the Georgia-Florida League, there was a man that played for Albany named Denver Rickard. He was a policeman in the off-season, and he literally wore me out. I didn't think I could get him out, to tell you the truth. But one time we were playing him in a playoff game, and he was coming up to hit, and I called the catcher out, and I told him, I said, I'm going to throw one right down the slot, and we'll see how far he can hit it. Well, I threw him one right down the middle, and he popped it up. And running to first, he broke the bat half in two. He was so mad. And he looked over and said, you make a joke of the game. I said, Rick, sometime you get the bear and sometime the bear gets you. <laughs> he went back to the bench. That's what Yogi told my friend from Rome, Willard Nixon, who pitched for the Red Sox. Willard threw one, he said, one time almost at Yogi's nose, and he chopped it and hit it around the foul pole in Fenway Park, the one they call Pesky's Pole. It curved around for a home run. Yogi started around the bases, and Willard said, Yogi, you make a joke out of the game. And Yogi said, Will, sometime you get the bear, and sometime the bear gets you, and laughed. Um, when you hit, who was the hardest to hit against? As a, did, you, did you hit much when you were uh, I couldn't hit. That's why I all? pitched. So, there you go. That answers that question. Um, what else? Take it from here. Gentlemen, any, any, any lobs you want to throw in? How about the story about the check? What? The Yogi Bear story in the check. Oh, Yogi's story about the check? Yeah. 
Back when the Browns were in the American League, they had a star of the game. The Yankees came in to play them, and Yogi hit a home run and was named the star of the game. Well, back then, you, now you get a new TV, but back then you got $25. So Jack Buck was announcing, and he gave Yogi the check. And the check was made out, as a lot of checks are, to Bearer. And Yogi said, Jack, you hurt my feelings. And Buck said, why, Yogi? He says, as long as you've known me and you can't spell my name. <laughs> what about Dave Ruth? There was a man that later coached for the Angels named Jimmy Reese. Nolan Ryan named one of his sons after him, Reese Ryan. And he roomed with Babe Ruth. So one of the outriders asked him, said, how was it to room with the Babe? He said, I don't know. said, when we checked in a hotel, he threw his suitcases in, and then he ran out the door and started chasing women. And I didn't see him again until we got to the train station to leave town. <laughs> Ruth had a tremendous appetite. Sometime he'd eat a couple of steaks and a chicken at one meal. And somebody asked him one time, said, Babe, why do you eat so much? He said, when I was in that orphan's home in Baltimore, many a night I went to bed hungry. And I said, if I ever got the money, I was going to eat all I could hold. And he said, I do. He certainly does. All right, last question. I'll get you out on this. Um, you were a pitcher. You're a baseball man. Who was the greatest pitcher you ever saw? Ryan. And, I think Ryan was. Nolan Ryan, the Express, really. He threw harder than any of them. That's for sure. More than Bob Gibson, more than Sandy well, Gibson Well, Gibson was terrific. But Nolan Ryan, feel free to expand on that. Ryan could throw real hard, but he could also, he, could, he was a good pitcher. He knew how to pitch. Gibson, you mentioned, Gibson really knew how to pitch. For one reason, Gibson threw it, people. If you went up there with a bat, he might knock you down. That's all there was to it. And he enjoyed doing it. One time, when a little story about Gibson, Tim McCarver was catching, and he went out to the mound to talk to Gibson, and Gibson said, get back there, McCarver. You don't know nothing about pitching. Only thing you know about pitching, you can't hit it. <laughs> there you go. Well, John, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on our show. You can find this podcast at our new web address, runningthebases.com. We're on SoundCloud, and as always, you can download us on iTunes. Uh, be sure to follow on Twitter at, at @runningthebase. I'll get uh, the grandchildren to tune in. Yes, please do. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you uh, to the UGA group. Thank you so much. And for Running the Bases, this is Tucker Wells. We're coming into home. We're safe. Good night.